Welcome to Naturopathy Today. Your hosts are Dr. Michael Schwartz and Steve Langford. Join them as they guide you on a journey to good health through holistic naturopathy. Now here are Michael and Steve. Hi, and welcome to another provocative, stimulating, exciting episode of Naturopathy Today. And I guess you have to choose which you think it is. Good morning, Steve. What do you think it is? <laughs> Stimulating, exciting, provocative? Well, I think it could be all of those depending on a person's perspective. You know, if somebody's new to these concepts, it may seem a little provocative because we're questioning some of the conventional wisdom. But I personally find that stimulating and exciting because I'm always about learning what's new, what are better ways to approach our health. So it does all of the above for me. For me too, because when a concept or, or something is presented that is stimulating, provocative, it really makes you think and question. And either you blow it off and say, nah, that's, you know, that's, no, that's too far out there. That doesn't work. That's nonsense. Or you take the approach that, well, maybe there's something there. Let me give it another minute or three and let me do let me do some research. Let me see if there's any validity to this. And does this make sense? You know, when I do consumer lectures, I always tell people that one of the things that gets in the way with health is teachers, experts, people like myself, you know, who or sharing information. And I say the truth of the matter is you 90% of the time, even though you may not relate to it, but I do believe that 90% of the time people know the truth when they hear it. Doesn't mean they want to accept it. Doesn't mean they want to work with it. But I think they know the truth. Uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's my fundamental belief. Well, the idea of truth is really quite an interesting concept. And here's something that I often use for myself. I've repeated it many times. I don't even know where I first heard it. But the thought was, it's not what I don't know that bothers me. It's what I think I know that ain't so. <laughs> and this is the concept of, yes, we all have our truth. Nobody yeah. thinks that we believe a lie or we believe something that is fabricated. If we believe it, we think it's true. Doesn't necessarily make it true, but it makes it true in our minds. And challenging those truths is what is oftentimes so very challenging. So <laughs> the idea that maybe we believe something that isn't true I think is probably a human tendency, but if we're not willing to question whether our truths are based on good science, good reality, then we may never be able to transition to a different thought. So as we go through these concepts that we're talking about on this show, we're encountering that with some of our listeners. They may not have heard that before, or they may not have believed something that we say. And our opinion is go corroborate what we say. See if others agree with us. Find out from your own experience if it's true or not. So I find truth to be this sort of elusive thing that we're not always sure of, 
But as we go forward and test our truths, that's, I think, where we gain confidence to move forward. I would agree. One of the things that that you said raised a hmm, and that is what we've said as being true. However, I know that I am introducing concepts on some levels that are unverifiable, even from the psychology point of view, because I've had conversations with psychiatrists and psychologists, and I present, and almost in every instance, there is a segue to another conversation that they take it, because no, this is not something that they can deal with. As an example, I was at a conference and sitting next to me was a psychiatrist and we were talking about mental disorders. My approach is that everything is the result of emotional conflict. And so she was talking and I say, well, you know, how do y'all treat mental issues being that, you know, you first have a coming from a medical background and psychiatry. And she said, well, we adjust everything with pharmaceuticals. We, that's how we treat the situation. And I said, but if it's not a chemical imbalance, if it's an emotional conflict, how does it get resolved by doing a pharmaceutical? And she looked at me and then she turned to the woman on her other side <laughs> and started a conversation <laughs> with her. They didn't want to hear because I did present you know, that the fact that the emo the mind controls the brain and the brain controls the body and can alter the biochemical structure of the body based on thought. She did not want to hear that. Anyway, so on some of the things that we introduce, you'll have to put it to the test. There's no way that you'll be able to validate it. Well, let me rephrase that. By applying what Steve and I share with you, you should be able to validate it. As an example, what we're going to start in with today are cardiovascular conditions. And the ones I have listed, Steve, are hypertension, high cholesterol, congestive heart failure, stroke, and arrhythmias. Is there anything you would add to that list? Well, those are certainly going to be right at the top of the issues that people might face. What I would say if I was looking at a list like this is to say, we're going to look at how nature, nutrition, thought, and action can play a role in a person's restoration and movement towards health. Stop thinking about their disease as something that they're treating and nourishing their body. Amen. So the idea of, well, hypertension, well, that's a symptom. Is that actually a disease or is it evidence of the body's inability to function at a normal level for some reason? And digging deep into what are those reasons and what are some of the ways to positively affect and assist your body to move forward. Think about nourishing the systems in your body as opposed to treating your disease. I think sometimes we get stuck in the idea of disease and it keeps us from thinking how to move forward because the doctors treat disease. I don't know enough to treat my disease, but I may know enough to add nutrients to support my body's function in this area. 
Is that a reasonable way to approach it? Absolutely. And we'll start out with hypertension because so many people deal with it. You know, one of the main causes, obviously, is stress. And we discuss stress as being the result of how you respond to what you see and hear. And we gave an example in one of the previous episodes. What I want to talk about here is a couple of different things. Number one, and I was thinking about stress from yet another point of view, and that is the foundation of the stimulant that ends up being stress, as we call it, is actually doubt and fear. Because if you had courage and confidence, then there isn't anything you couldn't look at, deal with, address from a position of strength, assuming there's courage and confidence. Without that, then that doubt, that fear creates internal pressure. And hypertension is exactly that. It's high in muscular tension in the body. And what that does is it puts pressure on the arterial system, thus elevating the blood pressure. So we're going to talk about how to deal with it. You had a thought, Steve? Well, I do. I think maybe I have a really good example of, of this issue. When I go to the doctor for any kind of visit, of course, they always check my blood pressure yep. and it's always elevated. And of course, they're going, you know, your blood pressure is up. Well, and then one time I said, well, just give me a couple minutes. Let me relax. And I do some deep breathing. And I found that regular deep breathing exercises, I can drop my blood pressure in that circumstance by maybe 20 points. So I think it's an example of how the stress and the way I think about it and I process it. And I'm always nervous because I know they're going to tell me something I don't want to hear, <laughs> but I'm also able then to adjust it. So I question in my case, and I think this may exist in other cases, do I really have hypertension? Do I have situational hypertension? And if I only have it when I'm in the doctor's offices or when I'm stressed, but not at home when I'm relaxed, do I have hypertension? And I think maybe a lot of people fit into a pattern like that. And yet at the same time, it's that visit to the doctor's office that's going to lead us to be prescribed a medication because it's high at the moment that they're taking it. When you talk about stress, people need to realize that there are things that they can do about that stress and that the event of the moment is not necessarily the truth of our circumstance. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And what, what came to mind was the white coat syndrome that so many people deal with. And that That's is what I have. Yep. You know, and then, yeah, and doing the relaxation is fabulous because yes, you can bring your blood pressure down. Some of the other things that are associated with in terms of cardiovascular disease, and we'll get back to hypertension in a minute, but some of the risk factors are definitely, and we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to get deeply into it, but it's stuff that you all can you know, go back to a couple of episodes where we talked about you are what you eat and you are what you think. So a poor diet really is a major causative factor of cardiovascular disease. Clogged arteries from too much fat, saturated fats, hydrogenated fats, trans fats, the fats in dairy, too many fried foods. So I know I'm reading you all the riot act, snacks, sugar, <laughs> chemicals, 
which create triglycerides. And I think we explained that in one of the previous episodes, or I did on a, a radio show I just did a couple of days ago, where what your body does to protect you is it, it takes the toxin and stores it in fat to protect you. So that's a buildup of triglycerides. And of course, is there, if there's a family history, history of cardiovascular issues. So here's something that will drive home, I hope, the concept that we are presenting in terms of looking for signs to help you understand what you're going through and what could possibly be taking place. And one of them is I heart you. And I bring that up because the heart is now symbolic of love. Take it a step further. You could say that same symbol or sign <laughs> is the same as saying the heart represents an emotional state. So from a Another point of view, taking it yet one step further, cardiovascular issues do have an origin in emotional conflict. And that's something that we've been trying to drive home, especially me, because my orientation in doing holistic counseling and treating the whole person is looking at the emotional causes of each and every condition. So have you found, Steve, that when you work with people and you can see, especially with cardiovascular folks, where that the things that were going on were really more emotional conflict that led to their condition as opposed to being overweight, not exercising, those kinds of things? Oh, I think there's obviously a lot of people who fit that pattern. And I thought of something interesting as you were describing that, you know, if we look at how modern medicine treats cardiovascular health with drugs, those drugs don't actually help you be healthier. They help manage the symptoms, but they don't correct some of the things that you're describing. The issues with stress, the issues with how we think, how we process information and how we seem to let our minds go where they want, rather than actually taking some affirmative action towards improving the way we think and changing the direction of our thoughts. Drugs may be necessary in some cases, Nutrition is always necessary, but neither of those drive us to an opportunity to think better and move our minds forward, which then carries our body forward. Is that a reasonable adjustment to what you just said? Yes, it is. It brings home the point, drugs don't heal. The body is the healer. We've discussed about this too in a previous episode. And what people don't understand is how the blood pressure is really regulated in the body. So here goes. It's called a negative feedback system. You've got a couple that come to mind immediately. Your blood pressure, your thyroid, your regularity, fecal movement, bowel movements are all regulated by what is called a negative feedback system. In this particular case, you have nerve endings in your arterial walls that sense when the pressure goes up or down, that in turn sends a message to your brain, and your brain sends electrical impulses down your nerves to tell the cells of the muscles to relax, the cells of the heart to slow down. 
that is what brings down blood pressure. The catch 22 is that what stress does, and we talked about this too, compromises your B vitamins and calcium, magnesium, and zinc. And calcium and magnesium specifically are electrolytes. They're light, I call them light switches. And when calcium is compromised, and by drinking and eating a lot of protein and drinking a lot of sodas, carbonated sodas, you are compromising your calcium, not even talking about the stress aspect, just the food aspect, because you're putting too much acid in your bloodstream and calcium and magnesium both work at neutralizing that so that you don't become too acidic because when you're too acidic, you become a host for germs, viruses, bacteria, fungus, et cetera, et cetera. So the calcium and magnesium as light switches work in this way, or let me back up a minute, because they're not there, when your brain sends those electrical messages to tell the cells to relax, there's a breakdown in electrical communication. So the cells don't get the message, the heart doesn't get the message. So the muscles stay tense, hypertension, and the heart is racing. And so what you need to do is the following, and this will help lower your blood pressure dramatically. Aside from altering your perspection, your perspection, your perception and perspective, <laughs> you know, sometimes, and on my planet, perception or, or perspective, whatever the word was, <laughs> that way, and everybody gets it. It's a combination of words. But, you know, because I have so much I want to share, I get tongue tied. I don't know if <laughs> ever happens to you, Steve. But. Oh, never, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad one of us is clear. Yeah, is my nose growing? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see that on the TV or the screen here. So the first things you want to do is add calcium and magnesium to ensure that you're getting an adequate amount. And even that has changed in terms of what used to be recommended. Uh, I remember that at one point they would say, you know, 700 milligrams a day was adequate. Then it went up to 1200. I'm not even sure where it's at today. Any uh, thoughts on that, Steve? Well, one of the things that bothers me about the history of, of how we've approached this is so often when people would go to their doctor and have these issues, they might be told to take more calcium just buy the cheapest calcium you can and just take 2000 or I mean 1200, 1500 or 2000 milligrams. That was preached with such certainty that it must be true. All the doctors recommended it. And so there must be good science. We'll come to find out there was no good science behind those recommendations all of these years. And so we had many people, especially women, taking tons of poor quality calcium because they were told it was the right thing to do when, in fact, there was no evidence. And now science is catching up with some of these myths of the past and are changing our thoughts about calcium and magnesium and all these other things. So it's as much the distrust that we have sometimes in the, in the advice that stops us from moving forward. Because of course, we have to, as laymen, have people that we can trust. 
that can give us information we can rely on. And I know you and I are both hoping that our podcast will lead people to think deeper about these issues, understand it a little differently, research it, try it out, and see what makes a difference for them. You know, absolutely. And you brought up a couple of good points. Number one, in, in terms of the people trusting the doctors, what's interesting is that as wonderful as these physicians, practitioners are, they have virtually, what, four hours of nutrition in their learning and years and years and years of teaching and then doing residency work. Nutrition is something that, oh, that's for the dietitian. And the dietitians, oh my God, even they, because, you know, I've just been visiting my nephew in the hospital and you see the meals and they're horrible. They're, there's no life in them. And they think that that's healthy at any rate, not to get crazy. And the fact that the doctors only tell you about calcium. And when you take calcium by itself, there's a good chance that one, you're not going to get the benefits you're looking for. Two, you could end up creating spinal stenosis, uh, calcium deposits on the joints and or kidney stones, because the calcium needs magnesium, it needs vitamin D for assimilation. It also needs phosphorus. But however, the diet, even the poorest diet is loaded with phosphorus. But you know, the, the type of calcium, and, and if we go back in time, the calcium that was recommended was the calcium carbonate. And if they told you to take magnesium, it was magnesium oxide, we used to call it a dolomite back in the day. And hardly assimilatable, because in both instances, you need amino acid chelated minerals for the best absorption. Well, I think we're dealing with, you know, a whole history of nutritional information coming forward for which we really didn't understand the physiology and the biology and the science of how these things work, that we are in a much better position today to understand the significance of those. And, you know, there are so many issues tied up with a discussion like this, because it's not only getting the right nutrients, but getting the right form of the nutrients and the better quality foods and the right kind of thinking. So there's a picture that emerges in my mind of a completeness that we're trying to seek, an understanding of the physical, the mental, the emotional, and how they are all connected and how they can all play a role to our detriment, as well as provide opportunity to move us forward towards better health. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's give the people, because I think we're coming up on our 20 minutes, we may even exceed it, you know, because we always give them a lot to chew on, maybe pun intended, yes. <laughs> to get healthy. So we have calcium and magnesium to facilitate electrical communication. That's where the light switches come in. And the analogy I would use is we're coming into wintertime. It's five o'clock. You get home from work. The room is dark. You flick the light switch and the bulbs illuminate. And now you have light. The electricity is there at the light switch waiting to go forward. It's the same thing in your body. If you don't have enough calcium, magnesium, 
then it gets to that junction and it just waits there to move forward to tell the cells what to do. So if you don't have enough calcium and magnesium coming in, you have a breakdown electrical communication. So that's the first thing you want to do. The second, you may want to consider bringing in some potassium, B6, some uva ursa, hydrangea, parsley, the diuretic herbs, along with the potassium B6 to help the body deal with the aggregation of water that occurred when we compromised the calcium. Also, you want to stay relaxed. So look at valerian, look at hops. Celery is a great diuretic. And your nervine uh, herbs like passiflora, skullcap, these are things that would be good to do. All of those will help in lowering your blood pressure. Steve, is there anything you would add before we say goodbye for the day? Well, I would be curious. You've dealt with a lot of people really in a clinical type of setting. If somebody came to you and you put them on a program that included many of these uh, recommendations, what would be a good time period for somebody to commit to in order to evaluate the effect of this program that they're trying? I know people are anxious to get results. Uh, sometimes they want them the same day or the next day. But what would be a good commitment? Do this for so many days or weeks and then evaluate. What's your advice on that? Well, if they can find all of the prod, all of the nutrients that they require in a pre-formulated product, because I know you like to do things individually. And of course, I'm all about programs. And so it's about, you know, finding a comprehensive formula that gives you most of what I've talked about, if not all that I've talked about. And then based on, on depending on potencies, et cetera, et cetera, I think anywhere within seven to 10 days, maybe two weeks max, people would begin to see a difference. And it may happen even quicker because when you consider the fact that most issues are brought about because of malnutrition. I mean, we talked about the Merck manual being the Bible. You go and you look, 95% have no known cause. So the body is ill because it's starving to death. We may be, you know, we're overeating. We're the most overeating nation and the most malnourished. We're up in the malnourished. <laughs> we're like 19th, 20th, something along those lines. And so I think that the minute you begin to give your body what it needs, that negative feedback system begins to go to work. And now the body would start coming back to norm. The only catch 22 is that, and this is a question that always comes up in the stores, and I'm sure you've dealt with this. Can I take my meds with this product? Good question. I, you know, it is. It's a great question. And my answer is always the same. And when I do trainings, my answer is this. You can tell the con consumer yes and no. It's not that I'm indecisive, but there really is a yes and a no. Yes, you can take the supplement. No, you don't want to take it with your med. What that does is it alleviates the fear that the supplement will interfere with the med and they're going to be in trouble. We know it the other way around. The med will more likely interfere with the supplement and we're not going to be able to deliver the promise of what the supplement should do. But the bottom line, when it comes to hypertension, if you will use the nutrients that 
we suggested find a combination that the retailers are very confident on. You should have a result within seven to 10 days. You should begin to see forward movement. Will you get to 180? Uh, yeah, 120 over 80 in 10 days? Maybe, maybe not, but you certainly will be headed towards that if you work with it. So from well, my- I know we're getting short of time, Michael, and I just want to ask this one short question. I noticed that a lot of these recommendations are similar for people who are under stress. So is it likely that if we're doing these kinds of nutrients that you recommended, that we may actually see improvements in how our body handles stress as well as the resulting cardiovascular issue? Oh, absolutely. Certainly with the minerals, that is true. Yes, the minerals will definitely help the individual deal with stress from a, from a physiological point of view. The other aspect would is they really would need to question. And we, again, we covered that in a previous episode, what to do to understand the causative factor. Next week, when we get back together, we'll talk about uh, anything here we didn't complete, although I think we did. Next week, we'll talk about how to lower your cholesterol and get rid of those cold hands, cold feet, ringing in the ears and hair loss, just to mention a few. So from me, Steve, thanks for showing up and joining me and having a fabulous everything. A wonderful conversation. Thank you, Michael. We'll talk to you next time, folks. You all take care. Thank you for listening to Naturopathy Today, sponsored by MNP, Michael's Naturopathic Programs at michaelshealth.com. Join us every Monday for the latest episode in this journey to excellent health on all levels.